This is episode 171 of the Inner Fight Podcast with Inner Talks 3. Welcome to Inner Fight Podcast. My name is Marcus Smith, founder of innerfight.com. I'm delighted to welcome you to another episode of the Inner Talks, Inner Talks number three with some absolutely fantastic guests. No matter where you are in the world, thanks for tuning in. Let's jump right in. Everyone's had an experience. Everyone has a choice. Everyone has moments of clarity. And that's why we can learn from everyone. It doesn't matter if you're on the front cover of Time magazine or your job is to sweep up the streets because we can learn from everyone. We all encounter situations, frightening ones, dangerous ones, telling ones. Some choose to face them head on whilst others crawl into a shell. And that's why we can learn from everyone. Some people talk where others speak. Some hear, but others listen. Some watch and others see. And that's why we can learn from everyone. And then everyone wakes up one morning and something has changed. Welcome to Inner Talks 3, and I really thank you all for being here and taking the time out to spend the next hour with us, where we have six speakers, five of which are here. One of them is stuck in traffic, but she will be here very soon. On to the first speaker, who I met four years ago. I often get emails from people to say, I want to speak to you, I want to make some changes in my life, I'm not happy with what's going on, and okay, come, let's meet. Within about the first... 10 seconds, you can figure out what's going to happen. You look into their eyes and their body language and everything they say. And luckily, this guy was for real. He said, I've come to you. I want to change. He's still with us four years later, and I'm absolutely thrilled that he's going to speak to us today about I don't know what, whether it's that story or whether it's something else. Tom Conway Gordon. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you for the introduction. Um, as Marcus said, my name is Tom Conway Gordon. I'm 37 years old. I've been in the UAE since late 2008. I work in an international public relations agency, and I love what I do. I like my life in Dubai. It's pretty good. I'm a pretty happy guy. Um, but things weren't always so good in my life. Um, so what I want to talk to you today about is about how to handle yourself when some things don't always go, don't always go your way. Some things go bad. Bad things happen. Things we can't control. Because life isn't always about rainbows and unicorns. It's not always about glitz and glamour and champagne and fast cars. Well, it depends what industry you're in, I must say. But, um, so I just wanted to give you a few, uh, some of my experience and some of the challenges I face and how to overcome them. So the first thing that usually happens when something goes bad, we make an anxious prediction. We make anxious predictions. So what is an anxious prediction? Well, an anxious prediction usually comes when you, just the moment after you have that <coughs> kind of sensation. <gasps> you suddenly made a mistake. You sent an email to your boss when you meant not, not meant to send it to him. You suddenly found out how drunk you got in Barasti last night and someone's told you all the heinous things you've done. Suddenly, the world's going to end. You leap to massive, ridiculous conclusions about, about uh, the worst thing's going to happen. Oh God, I'm going to lose my job. God, my, my wife's going to find out. Oh no, I'll never work in this town again. <gasps> the cops are going to come and find me. So, so why does this really happen? This happens because adrenaline, that old friend adrenaline, yes, that guy, 
That's what happens when it comes flooding through your system. There's not much you can do. You can't punch anyone in the face. It's not be a good idea. You can't run away. So that kind of nervous energy channels into your mind. And it just kind of runs away with itself. These thoughts I've always found are pretty useless. You suddenly think, you're leaping to these conclusions. You're dancing, you're going to, you're, your, your mind train is like a locomotive surging on adrenaline, firing off into all sorts of stilly, dark ravines inside your mind. And you don't want to do that. Best thing to do is kind of try and step off that train and watch those thoughts go by. And instead of kind of, because you're full of energy, you've got all this energy flying through your system. Use that energy positively and rather kind of beat yourself up and, oh God, the world's going to end, all that sort of stuff. Try and step aside, step back and use that energy in that time to think about how you're going to get yourself out of this pickle. How are you going to, how are you going to make this, how are you going to make this area you've made better? And uh, ultimately, kind of re-channel that energy into a more positive way of, of, uh, of thinking. The second thing I used to do was I used to give myself a hard time a lot. I, for some reason, in my late 20s, my 20s as a whole, um, I used to think I wasn't good enough. I'm not sure what I was good enough to be or not to be, but I just wasn't good enough. I didn't think that, you know, I was whatever. I, everything I did had to be excellent. I really had to be the best had to be the funniest guy at the party. Everything I did in my work had to be, all well, the copy I wrote had to be Pulitzer Prize winning. When I was in a brainstorm, it had to be the best ideas that kind of put Einstein to shame. And what I soon learned is that I was setting myself up to fall. I just raised the bar so high that, you know, I was doing everything I could to get up there. But you know, naturally, you're going to fall. You know, naturally, you're going to, you, you know, you can't be amazing in everything you do. Tempting as it is, you know, you, there are things you kind of have to want to pick your battles and know you're going to succeed at, and you can reward yourself for those. But by setting myself up, to, setting the bar so high, I was setting myself up to fall, and that necessarily invites more negativity. And so, and that kind of negativity that often goes with anxious predictions. They kind of, you kind of, in yourself, it fall into a kind of vicious cycle. It's like negativity. There are seven billion people on this planet, believe it or not. Don't, they're, they're, all ready to, they're all happily ready to step up and give you a hard time, tell you've screwed up. Oh, you really shouldn't have done that, Phil. Marcus, you're an idiot for doing that. What were you thinking? Don't be one of those people. Don't be one of them. Let other people do that. But don't be, turn on yourselves and give yourself a hard time. Ultimately, you want to be happy. Try and be content. And this took me a long time to get to grips with being content and happy in my own skin. I kind of constantly questioning myself about this and constantly querying that. Oh, am I good enough? Should I have done this? No, 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 no. You are, everyone here is incredible. You're all incredible. I'm incredible. You're incredible, Bex. Matt certainly thinks so. And uh, so you're all incredible. So look at yourself in a very positive light. Don't look at yourself. Don't kind of look at the flaws. Ignore them. We all have flaws, but are they really flaws or are they flaws in other people's eyes? No, usually other people's eyes. So try to, try to keep, keep positive in yourself. And really admire the person who looks back at you in the mirror. Admire him or her. Think, yeah, he's a good guy. She's a good person. Don't kind of think, oh, God, oh, my God, I look awful today. Oh, my hair's a mess. Oh, I've got this big presentation. I haven't prepared for it. I'm rubbish. How am I going to handle it? It's all a load of rubbish. Don't think like that. Really try not to. Also, listen to your gut. If it feels good to you, it's a good thing. Your gut is the most important thinking tool in your body. Not this, not that I've found. It helps sometimes. But the gut really is the one that tells you the real truth, really knows what you're on about. So never mind what anyone else thinks. It's none of your business what anyone else thinks. 
That's their business. If they think Flanders, you're a rubbish coach, that's their business. You're not a rubbish coach, by the way, as far as I've been told. Um, so, yeah. So, in summary, step aside from negative, unhelpful thoughts. Let them go, go by. Get off that kind of negative train of, oh, God, oh, shit, oh, I shouldn't have done that. No. Leave it behind. Use that energy that's coursing through your body to think positively. Well, how are you going to make that mistake? They're not going to make that mistake again. But remember, mistakes are good. We learn from mistakes. If we don't make mistakes, we don't learn. If we don't learn anything, what are we doing? We're just on a static plane. We might as well retreat back into the primordial lose if we're not learning anything. We've got this incredible body and mind. Mistakes are good. Feel free to make them. But don't give yourself a hard time. If you're not happy with yourself, you're not content, what are the steps that are going to make you content? What are the things you want to do that, well, it might be a glass of wine, a chocolate bar, a quick jog around the park, a marathon, seven marathons across the desert and Marathon de Sable, like some of you crazy people are doing here. Good luck with that, by the way. Um, so, yeah, take steps to be content. Make, make sure they're achievable steps. People will set you up. People, use the people around you to help you take those steps and achieve them. But, again, be careful about setting the bar too high. I'm not going to go downstairs and suddenly bash out a 200-kilogram back squat. No, I might do that in three years' time, maybe. But, again, it's about having that kind of realistic and achievable goals. The last thing I want to say is smile at the person in the mirror. They'll smile right back at you. Very much. Thank you, Tommy. Very cool. And smile at you. Our next speaker called me up about five years ago. I had no idea who she was, and she said, I need someone to be on the radio in five minutes on a quiz show. And I stupidly said yes. Five minutes later, the phone rang back, and I was in this quiet room. Luckily, I had a computer, and the, I was playing this game on Dubai 92FM about the Oscars last night. And those people that know me would know that I have no care, knowledge. I was in bed about four hours before the Oscars started. And she started asking these questions, and I was totally embarrassed. We were trying to Google everything, but completely slow. And I got beaten, I think, 5-0 by some guy that knew absolutely everything about what happened last night. So that was how I met Anna. It's been a, an interesting few years. She's been through a very interesting time, and I'm absolutely delighted that she's going to share her story with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, Anna Roberts. Thank you so much. Um, I am normally on the radio at this point in the morning reading off a script, but I get to speak to all of you this morning, so thank you so much for making the time to come here today. I... I'm not going to talk to you about the glamorous life where I get to embarrass people like Marcus Smith on air every morning. Um, I'm talking to you about something that maybe a lot of you don't know about, maybe have never heard about, in that I wasn't born with this face, which is a little bit creepy, isn't it? Yeah. I was born with something called long face syndrome, which is real. You can Google it. Um, it meant that basically what I thought was a normal functioning face actually didn't work. I couldn't chew my food. I couldn't eat at all. couldn't even breathe through my nose. So all those workouts that Marcus then punished me with uh, were twice as hard, I have to say. But I decided at the age of 25 to do something about it. I was told from probably the age of six that I would need to do something about it, that no endless amount of braces 
or orthodontics or anything ugly Betty style really wouldn't actually work for me that I would have to undergo surgery. And not just one, but five. I've been through five surgeries in the last sort of 18 months, two years, which Marcus has heard the ins and outs of, and which I want to describe to you today. For three specific reasons, actually. The first of all is that I believe that we were all joined more by our similarities and we are separated by our differences in that maybe not all of you have undergone something that I have, but there are maybe tones or themes or angles which resonate with you, which I believe that you may be able to pick up on today. Also, the fact that we all hate the dentist, it's probably a shared, shared dislike that we can just start with now. Uh, secondly, I'd like to encourage you to own your story. There are bits and pieces of my story that are S-H-I-T, just to, to be really clear about it. It hasn't been all butterflies and unicorns for me, but own your story. There are good and bad aspects to life, and that sort of relates to the first bit, which is that we're all joined by our similarities and we are separated by our differences. And third of all, I'd really like you to not take pity on me, because I'm 27 now, and I've had my limitations and any sort of constricting views on myself and what I can do absolutely smash out of the ballpark. I am really, really lucky, not just because of the surgeons that I had, not just because of the care that I had, but really because how far can I go? That's really the question for me now, not what am I holding myself back from? So what is long face syndrome? Well, it's a long, narrow face. If you were to look at me sort of three years ago, I didn't really look much different to who I look now. Um, little bits and pieces if you were to pick apart and pull apart everything. But essentially, uh, my bite didn't work. I couldn't chew my food. And I just thought that that was normal. But I got to the age of 25 where I just thought, there's got to be a better way to live than this. And I think that it had sort of all come at the right time. Five years ago, I had that call with Marcus, but it was probably another two years from then when the cogs, the wheels were really in motion for me to be at the right place and the right time for me to be able to embark on this journey. And I really didn't realize the magnitude of it, first of all. So I won't go into anything too squirmish because I know a lot of people aren't sort of au fait with medical stuff. But basically, over the course of... Uh, just under two years, I had five surgeries, the first one of which they expanded my upper palate by 11 millimeters. So people say gaps are sexy. 11 millimeters is a little bit hard to sort of sexify, really, when you, you can't really eat with it. You can't drink with it because it all comes back out your mouth through the hole. So um, I went through that. I was on a liquid diet and a soft food diet for the better part of... Eh, 18 months or so, which meant that all the gains that I made with Marcus were lost completely, which is always a challenge. Um, I had my wisdom teeth out. I had bone grafts. The big one, though, was in November of 2013. And by this stage, I had reached, I guess, a real clarity in the reason why I had started the journey. The first two surgeries, I really didn't tell anyone about. I wanted it to be over straight away, and I didn't want anyone to sort of remember me for my old face, and I wanted to hide away and just be able to come out into the world like a butterfly, and then the world would grant me all of the riches in life, and everything would be fine and happy and well, and it doesn't happen like that, does it? No. So I wanted to hide away, but I eventually learned that you really need the support of others, 
which took me a while because I've really learned that I am a bit of an introverted person, so I don't like to ask for help. And that's the other thing. Don't take pity on me. I have learned so much about myself, hours in hospital, hours to think about yourself, hours to contemplate why you're putting yourself through something really gives you a mental clarity as to why you're doing something in life and where you want to go next. So that, for me, is a privilege. But I eventually got to the stage where my fourth surgery back, as I mentioned, in November of 2013, ended up being the biggie. It was a seven-hour surgery. I had two blood transfusions. They moved around both of my jaws, my cheeks, and my chin. So really massive, massive, we're talking extreme makeover almost sort of stuff. Um, And I remember... (laughs) waking up in ICU, and they had said, you know, you're going to be sedated, you'll be with a lot of drunks, and you won't really feel anything, so you'll be fine. And I remember waking up, and I can see the neon lights as I look up now, like it is here, and everyone around me saying, Anna, are you okay? And I thought, oh, it's over. Okay, well, that's all right. And then I thought, liars, lying, because it hurt a lot. (laughs) And I thought, that's not fair. You know, I've just been laying on the table for the last seven hours, and gosh, this hurts, and a lot of expletives as well. Uh, But I remember then being passed a pen, uh, and they said, you know, write something if you can't speak, because I was all swollen. I looked like a bowling ball, really. It wasn't that bad, but, you know, sort of a little bit sad. Um, And I remember basically writing on a piece of paper, do I look beautiful, because I was all sort of drugged up. And they couldn't read my handwriting. And they said, oh, she thinks she's a butterfly. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. So no end of frustrations there. But I was back at work two and a half weeks later. From there, I had one final surgery that happened just in April of last year. So almost actually a year ago to date. I've still got seven teeth implants to go. I'm speaking to you now without a full set of teeth, which has been a big learning curve, having to get up in front of audiences like you and overcome that fear. But really, if there's anything that you can take from my story, short and sweet as it is, I am very lucky. I've stretched my limitations as far as they can go, but I can still go further. I know that because I will survive. It didn't kill me. I know that perhaps there are some similarities in my story that will resonate with you today. And I hope that from that, you can really own your story. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the brilliant. Everything is out there to be shared. You've got one life. Own your story. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Anna. Our next speaker is a very interesting character for me. He called me three days ago, or I saw him three days ago, and he's actually coming to the Sahara with us in a week, and he was asking me what equipment he should buy, which I thought was very interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, Rinat. Yeah. I think, thank you for introduction. Uh, my name is Rinat. I'm 35 years old. I'm in Dubai since uh, 2009. Uh, when I came to Dubai, I had nothing uh, similar to sport, nothing common. Uh, all I did is um, corporate insurance. I worked by that time 11 years in corporate insurance, and I just moved from Moscow to Dubai to set up the company and run it. Uh, and uh, had normal life. I was smoking 16 or 17 years, uh, drinking, uh, had parties, normal life on normal person. And um, uh, in 2012, uh, friends offered to me 
why don't you try uh, to triathlon in Abu Dhabi? And I said, uh, okay, I'll think, but I didn't uh, take that offer seriously because I remember when I was a child and uh, saw triathletes uh, on the TV set, uh, I realized that uh, these are the crazy people and uh, you have to born to be a triathlete. And I decided clearly, I remember by that time, uh, decided that uh, in this life I will not do this. Uh, but uh, so I was a moderate swimmer by that time. I didn't do any cycling since I was 11 years old. And I hated running. I didn't understand why people run. And I just gave a, ch a chance to, to myself and I said, let's try. Let's try at least once. Uh, let's try to survive. Uh, and I chose and picked up the uh, smallest distance. It was a sprint distance, 750 meters swim, 50, meters on the uh, 50 kilometers on the bike, and uh, 5 kilometers on run. And it was really, really challenge, big, big challenge for me that time. And uh, my goal was just to finish that. Uh, and I finished. I was very happy, smiling at the finish line. But uh, I wasn't hooked at that time. And it took me one year to try it another time. Between these two triathlons, I continued my smoking, drinking, partying. Uh, and um, another Abu Dhabi race came. I picked a longer race that time. And um, I was preparing for that more, more seriously. I was cycling in the nights, uh, running more distances. And I finished. And this is when I decided to seriously go into tri triathlon. And I registered then for longer races, uh, for half Ironman race, uh, and uh, these le two lessons which I learned is uh, give yourself a chance to try something new. There is a high probability that you will like it. If you will not like it, just just leave it. But um, just just try. And another one is to develop su success. Once you see something in your life, what you can benefit from. Just go and continue with that. Um, then I had, uh, then my family started to do triathlon, and uh, at the half Ironman race, I didn't do well uh, because I had a very strong knee pain, and I just challenged myself to finish. I, I, I said that I have to finish this race. In one month, there was another race, half Ironman race, where I wanted to um, to do. I wanted to do better in Luxembourg, uh, but it didn't go well again because I have a I had a stomach problem. My stomach just uh, stopped functioning during the run. Uh, I remember I had uh, everything, vomiting, diarrhea, and I came to, to the doctor at the finish line after the finish, and I said, and I crashed uh, from the bike also that time. And the um, doctor started to, uh, he, he thought that I came uh, because of the uh, crash, uh, because of the things on my, on my skin, but I said, no, it, uh, I have another problem. I'm vomiting and diary. He said, this is a pill against vomiting. This is a pill against diary. <laughs> what I can do? 
And um, so, stomach <laughs> uh, stomach uh, has started to act again as a as a like uh, engine. Uh, but uh, that time I realized I was already on the way to to do the full Ironman, and that time I realized that I need a coach. Uh, I can do it by myself, but uh, you see there are there are some problems, and uh, what I do, I don't know what I do, yeah? and uh, the, uh, I need a professional who will who will guide me, uh, and um, here two lessons uh, which I learned is, uh, first of all, bravely go through the tests of the life, yeah, uh, the life uh, and the fate will test you when you are on, uh, just to test how far you can go. And the second lesson, if you uh, dream big, be surrounded by bright minds. And uh, I found it, thanks to my friend, I found uh, the bright mind in, in triathlon. This is uh, Coach Neil, Neil Flanagan, who, uh, so, uh, I remember I, that time I said, uh, Neil, I need you. And um, I believe that you can uh, bring me to the to Ironman, and um, I was uh, this was very right choice. Now I understand. Um, we talked about nutrition, so Neil guided me how to uh, eat properly uh, with a with a low low uh, low carbs uh, high fat diet. Then we d he designed the program for me. Uh, I started to train something between 10 and 15 hours a week. And uh, after one year, I came to... Um, so there were intermediary races, like half Ironman races, uh, which were very successful. So I realized that I'm on the right path so that uh, everything is going well. And um, uh, then we went to uh, Ironman. And before Ironman, there was a uh, swim across Gibraltar. Uh, so this was a probably a uh, mad thing to do, uh, two things together in, within one year. So I had the Gibraltar Strait, which needed a separate training program. Um, I made it in June last year, and uh, we, we were the first Russians who uh, cr uh, came across Gibraltar Strait. And uh, then it was Ironman. Uh, uh, Ironman, I planned to finish within 12 hours, uh, but I did, uh, my result was 10 and a half hours. Uh, and uh, this is against thanks to my to my coach and uh, like um, lessons which I learned there is uh, um, be prepared for worst and hope for the best uh, challenge your fears because uh, after one of the DNFs uh, uh, when I didn't finish one of the races fell off the bike I had a fear to continue with bike. Uh, if you have any fears, just uh, understand that this is where you need to go. This is what you need to work on. Don't be scared of them. And um, 
also work on your weaknesses. Uh, and what I realized uh, before Ironman, just three months before Ironman, that uh, cycling is my very weakness. And uh, I worked a lot. I started to focus more on cycling, do, doing the, uh, it more than other disciplines. And uh, at the end, wake up the inner champion. So you can do it, yeah? Thank you. Thank you very much, Renat. Our next speaker has been a friend and a client for around eight years. And it's been a lot of ups and some downs. Uh, but it's been an incredible experience, emotional most of the time. Ladies and gentlemen, Hanan. Hello. Good morning. Um, thanks, Marcus. Uh, when Marcus first asked me to talk, I thought, sure, I understand where he's coming from. I have a story. Um, I had an operation. I had a surgery uh, 10 years ago. I sort of ticked all the boxes. I'm a hero. I can talk about that. I had a 13-hour surgery. I remember the lie, the big lie, when you wake up and you think, oh, they can give you painkillers. And then there's like no amount of painkiller would actually take that pain away. I have metal in my back, and no, I don't beep at airports. I've been asked this question a lot. So uh, yeah, and, uh, in less than a year after my surgery, I ran a marathon, I ran the 10K in the marathon. Um, I left a 15-year corporate uh, career to become a personal trainer. I followed my passion, so yeah, I ticked all the boxes. I can come here and talk about it, but then, I listened to everyone that was talking in inner talks one and two, and I thought, they have better stories. They have bigger pains. Their surgeries were more painful than mine. So what makes me a hero? I mean, I can't just come here and try to compete with everyone and trying to prove to you that, no, my pain was bigger, and I'm a bigger hero. So I thought, let's not do that, because what defines pain? And what makes one a hero? I remember my sister. She has two kids. She wakes up every single morning, takes them to school. Whether she's sick or feeling good, she has to get up every single morning at 5 a.m. I choose to wake up at 5 a.m. to come to the gym. And, you know, I thought that was a good thing. But I remember my mom. I remember... You know, my sister, I remember every mother, I remember every father that get, gets up every morning and goes to work because they have to. And I thought, these are also heroes. You know, um, it's not about comparing yourself with anyone. It's about relativity. It's about ha looking at things from a relative perspective, which means that the way you define happiness and the, the way you define success and the way you define wealth is all relative. Um, I remember my mom used to tell me that she doesn't think that she's achieved anything in her life because she thinks, you know, she didn't start a business, she didn't, you know, open like a store or make a lot of money. She was just raising five kids and she was waking up every morning, preparing breakfast, we come home from school, we have amazing lunch on the table, and I told my mom, this is the biggest achievement anyone can do by being there every single day, 
making sure that your husband and your kids are being fed. And I told my mom, I remember this, I said, you know, that table, that hummus or tabbouleh dish that you make is as good as a NASA engineer flying a spaceship because everything is within context. Um, if that guy comes to our home, we will come home and not find lunch because he wouldn't know how to cook. So he failed and you succeeded. So it's all about relativity. It's all about thinking about things within context. And the other day I went to Beirut uh, on Mother's Day. I was sitting um, on top of this hotel uh, roof with my mom. It was raining outside and I thought, I am the happiest woman alive. Because if I want to compare myself with people that are happier, or people that are more successful, or people that have more money, then I won't be happy. But then I looked about the things that mattered to me, how I felt safe, I felt I was at home, I felt I was with my mom. She was very happy that I came all the way to see her, and that for me was happiness. Um, I read once that there are as many definitions of success as there are people in this world, which means that, you know, some people might think, uh, being wealthy is being successful, having money or having a nice sports car or maybe doing a one rep max or running the marathon. It's all relative. Um, I think it's very important that you define what success is and you define what happiness is and you define what wealth is. Um, I was um, parking my car the other day uh, underground late at night. I came home. And then there was this man that washes the cars every night. He's an old man. He stays until like 11 or 12 p.m. washing the cars because he wanted to make more money. And then he was like, he waved at me. He asked me if, I, um, if he wants uh, to wash my car. I said, boss, no money. You know, I didn't have cash. That was three months ago. And until today, he washes my car every night. And it made me think that this man has given me so much because he has given everything that he's got. He, he's a man that washes cars and that's what he can give me and I thought that was a lot. That was much more than somebody giving me a thousand dollars and they have millions. So it's, everything is about context. Everything is about looking at things from a relative point of view. Um, I was also thinking that you know, if I would give every one of you a million dollars, everyone would be so happy, right? I mean, you think, wow, this is happiness, this is success. Uh, maybe I'll give you $10 million, each, each and every one of you. But then if I tell you that I want your eyesight, and I want your ability to walk and to talk and your ability to hear, would you still take that money? I would, I would hope no. So looking at this, why are you not as happy as having $10 million? Because, you know, you have to look at things within a certain context. You are wealthy, you are way wealthy than people that have million dollars. You are way more successful, even if what you do every day is waking up in the morning and just making breakfast for your children or going to work or making this perfect presentation because you shouldn't compare yourself to others. And you are really wealthy and, and everything you know, happiness is, is a matter of context. Um, I actually read something in this book 
um, it said that life has absolutely no meaning. And the meaning that life has is the one we, we give it by defining and labeling our experiences. So if you think within context, if you think within your life, within your capabilities, within you know, your family and your friends and the things that you have on a single everyday basis, and you think that, okay, you know, I woke up this morning, I'm healthy, I can go to work, I can do things, I can see my friends, I can call people I love, then I have everything that I've got. Thank you. Thank you, Hanan. At the end of Inner Talks 1, I asked the audience if they knew anyone or if anyone wanted to talk, please to get in touch. A few days later, I got an email from one gentleman recommending another gentleman, who is our next speaker, who I then emailed, I know very little about, except he makes guitars. Ladies and gentlemen, Ramsey Phillips. Thanks, Marcus. Morning. I uh, put up your hand if, if you know of or assume that there is anyone in the world that is exactly like you. Like exactly like you. There you go. So my, my whole current state of existence exists on that fact. There's no one like you. There's no one who thinks like you, no one who likes what you like, exactly like that. There's no one who appreciates things the way you appreciate things. It's very, very unique and specific to you. And I grew up being very, shall I put it, the, the, the previous speakers, they've gone through agony in terms of, of uh, operations and, and physical pain, but mine was an emotional pain. And, uh, and I grew up, grew up uh, teased at school and uh, quite a hunched over kind of character and uh, nothing much in my perception of myself. But eventually I started to, to, to come out of my shell a little bit and, and I had this realization around about 2006, 2007, just before the recession hit. Uh, I was in Dubai already. I came to Dubai in 2002. And uh, I realized that there must be something... There must be some reason why we are so different. There must be some reason why there's a uniqueness to me and who I am. And uh, I started to line things up with my passions. And I thought, you know, this, I love guitars so much. And in fact, that I, I love fixing them more than I love playing them. I'm a very average guitarist, you know, G, C, and D. And, uh, and I realized that there must be something hinging on this. There must be a reason why I'm so passionate about working on guitars. Just couldn't get enough of it. And uh, so when the recession hit, I ran a small ad into Bizzle. You know, I'll uh, service your guitar for you. And suddenly it started. And uh, I started to realize that this is the key. That your passion is the key. That there is something unique about yourself that you will be successful in and uh well when you start to use that thing because when you realize what it is you've been made to do you will naturally be successful in that if you give it the credit it deserves if you pursue it if you follow it if you give your time to it if you dedicate yourself to it you will naturally be one step ahead of the other person who's doing it because it's a cool thing to do. 
you know, wow, that's a, that's a nice thing to do. Uh, say, for instance, a marine biologist. I want to be a marine biologist, so I'll, that sounds like a cool thing to do. I'll follow my dreams. I'll go and do a, BM, you know, do a degree and everything. And Then there's someone else who oh, can't get enough of the water. I just love sea life. They, they follow it. And they're naturally going to be at the head of the game. They're naturally going to be thinking, you know, what's next? What's deeper? What's the next uh, best thing? What's the next technology? How can I invent something better than this? How can I do that better? And that's, that's the key that I found. So I started to enjoy doing what I do for, uh, for a living. And it wasn't my living initially. I was working a day job and slogging it out behind a computer screen and life was okay. Uh, and then I lost my job, as a lot of us did, in the recession. And I immediately got a new job with a counterpart to who I dealt with before. And then, uh, and still on the side, running my business, you know, just looking after people's guitars and started to develop a bit of a name. And uh, then I lost that job, one of the last in, one of the first out. And I said to my wife, what do you think? You know, I've got quite a, quite a client base going on. And, and uh, she said, go for it, baby, go for it. And that brings me to a point that is surround yourself with people that back you up. Surround yourself with people who believe in you, people who blow wind in your sails. It's so easy to have friends that are fun and take the piss. You know, it's so easy to take life a little less seriously because life can be pretty intense and it's good to let your hair down. But people that blow wind in your sails will bring out the best in you and encourage you to be the best of who you can be. And uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I started going full-time in my business. Freaked me out. Because suddenly there's no... And, and, and anybody who's a business owner, does owns a small business, can, can uh, relate. Suddenly, your security blanket is gone. Your, it's, you know, it's, there's, no longer, there's no longer that constant paycheck. There's no longer paid leave. There's no longer guaranteed medical insurance. It's all up to you. You make it happen or you don't make it happen, and that's it. And, uh, and that became part of the gym, too, because it unlocked a, a desire to perform, a desire to, to be bigger, desire to be stronger, desire to be better. And uh, when you do that, people feed off it, and there's a natural draw of a customer base. There's a natural draw of people that want to be associated with what you do. And that's what I found. Uh, I found that because I'm so happy with what I'm doing, people enjoy being around what I'm doing. And uh, customers want to bring their guitars to me. And I, that, I built guitars kind of as a secondary thing. My, my main thing is, is I, I repair them and I set them up and I customize them for all, all walks of life, all around the Gulf region. And, and people start to come to you when they realize how passionate you are. I mean, I can see Marcus. I mean, I just met Marcus this morning face-to-face. And uh, I looked around here, and other than being petrified by all the gym equipment, because it looks so hardcore, and I'm so not hardcore, uh, <laughs> I can see that he is passionate about what he does, and that he's, he's behind what he's doing, he's believing what he's doing, and there's a natural gravitation towards him. You know, if you want to do... If you want to change your life around, 
you know, and be better and be stronger. He just, he seems like the right guy. And that's kind of where I found myself, just doing what I felt was right and enjoying what I felt doing. And I just want to encourage you, like, think out the box. Totally, totally think out the box. My, my niece was, was is about to finish school and, and uh, said to her, you know, what are you going to do with your life? She says, well, everybody says I should go do a business degree. And it's, it's, you know, it sounds really smart and it's the right thing to do because you guarantee yourself a job. And, you know, I thought, well, is that what you want to do? Well, not really, but, you know, it sounds like the right thing to do. I thought, oh, you know, Cara, think out the box, you know. Do something you'd really, really want to do, you know. Be bigger. Be, be bold. The world is big. The world is really, really big. And there's so much room to be successful uh, if you believe in yourself. And uh, she dropped out of business school, by the way. She didn't do it. So she should have listened to me. Uh, and uh, just to sum it all up, it, as I was sitting here, I was reminded of something my, my stepdad said to me way back. I was 13, I think. And uh, I wish I'd listened to him. Uh, other than put 10% of your income away every month and save your money. I didn't do that either. I would have listened to that. But he said, Ramsey, success isn't how much money you make. Success isn't where you live, what car you drive. Success is the constant realization of a worthy dream. So it's not, it's not the destination. It's, it is the journey. It's taking stock of everything you do along the way, enjoying every moment of what you're doing, every discovery, every mistake, learning from everything you do. But as long as you are on that path, walking constantly towards what you ultimately want to achieve. That is being successful. So uh, that's me. Thank you. Thank, thanks a lot, Ramsey. Our final speaker, I actually received a, an email from Flanners around five months ago with a link to a website, and he said, you should probably have a look at this guy. Went on his website, and I liked the look of what I saw, and I sent him an email, and he never replied. <laughs> I, said, I didn't feel very good about that. And then one day, I was actually I was sleeping over on the couch over here, and this gentleman walked up the stairs and smiled at me. And I don't know why, but I looked at him, and I said, Are you Max? And he said, Yes, I'm Max. And that was only about two months ago, but since then, we've been able to meet on a number of occasions. We share some of the same interests, and I'm absolutely delighted that he's going to share some time with us this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, Max Calderon. Thank you to everybody. First of all, you already understand that uh, I am Italian according with my bad English. So excuse me for that. I'm eh? sorry for that. Uh, my story is a very easy story. Um, when I was a child, I was always, always dreaming to cross the big desert of empty quarter. You know, it's 1,000 kilometers. And I was reading an encyclopedia where uh, there was written that the camels, too, they, weren't, they was not able to go inside the empty quarter. And all the people, they only cross in the border. Also, the biggest oil companies were not able to go inside. And I was asking to me, why? Where is the limit? 
and I was seven years old, was 1974. Now I am 48 years old. I was in Italy. I was a baby. I was reading encyclopedia. And I asked myself, why? And in that period, I remember that it was a very bad period for me because uh, uh, I had a problem with my feet. My feet had problems, so my mother brought me to a doctor, orthopedic. And the orthopedic said to my mother, hey, this baby has to use orthopedic shoes. And when he will be 18 years old, he has to go under surgery. So forget, forget for all his life to walk, to run, to do any kind of sport activity. But I was dreaming to cross this desert. So how it works? So I started to use these shoes and I started to cry immediately. One week, two weeks, three weeks. At the end, my mother was looking at me. I was crying in front of this encyclopedia with a big picture of camels inside the in the border of empty quarter. And uh, she says to me, come here, Max, come. Leave the shoes. I still remember the windows was open and I saw my pair of shoes flying outside of the window. And I said, listen, you from today, you will walk without shoes. And she started to brought me on the sand, on the stones, on the mountain on the mood, and my feet start be to become again, uh, I can say, normal. So I understand in that time, understood in that time, that uh, nothing is impossible. And when someone is going to say to you, that's impossible, you already feel that you can do. When someone say to me, love, it's impossible, come on. Now I have 11 records for crossing desert. That means that I, I'm able to do something that nobody has been able to do before me. I crossed totally alone, never stopping, never sleeping. In summer too, on foot, kilometer, in foot, uh, desert with a huge, uh, I can say, huge uh, distance. I followed, for instance, the Tropic of Cancer Line in Oman, uh, 437 kilometers in 90 hours, totally alone. In summer, we were always speaking with Marcus. Also, the Wahiba sands in summer, 58 degrees, sands and 74 degrees, 200 kilometers in 48 hours. I'm able now to run 160 kilometers daily in desert, never stopping, thanks to my feet, and not only. So, the meaning... The meaning is uh, that uh, when you have uh, really a dream, uh, it's not a matter of mind. The mind has only the, the goal to manage the best way to achieve the dream, not opposite. If you say to me, it's impossible to cross empty quarters, nobody has been able until now, I say to you, why? Is your way of thinking, is not my way. 
Well, because the, the, the medicine, the sport uh, medicine, the doctor says that it is impossible. You have to drink three liter waters every day. My best training is to cover 100 kilometers in summer within 24 hours, no drinking, no eating at all. Come on. Why is it impossible? Because the average of the people, according with the medicine, they say that you have to drink three liters of water. And that's useful. This is marvelous. This is very, very good to, to drink three liters of water. But if we discover that we are able also not to drink, eh, immediately our way of thinking, our limit from here, arrive here. I'm not average. I'm not belong to an average. The average belongs to the book. I am Max Calderon. You are John. You are Hannah. And you are Marcus. Every one of us is unique. And we don't belong at all to an average. Why I have to be compared to another guy or to another man or to another woman that is totally different from me, from my DNA, from my taste, from what I'm able to see or to watch. I tell you something. Each of you here now, now you have to come with me in the desert, each of you for sure you will do 100 kilometers without drinking in less than 24 hours. And if every one of us is thinking is impossible, I can say no. Don't permit to other people to install in your mind the limit. Is other people's thoughts. Is not your one way of thinking. When you feel something, you can do what you are feeling. That's always been in this way. And the mind, I say again, has only to manage the way to achieve your goal. To stop at the traffic light because it's red. To pay, I don't know, uh, taxes <laughs> at uh, the, the, the office. Nothing else. To manage a good training with the timing and so on. But the feeling is the driver. The feeling is the driver to go in this direction. And the mind has to manage everything. So, remember, remember, nobody can stop with his own way of thinking your dream. And when someone will say to you, it's impossible, Try to discover inside you something that will answer, okay, now, just because you say to me it's impossible, now I feel that, that, that I can do it. That's all. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Max, and thanks to all of the five speakers, and thanks really to you guys for making it here today.
The next Inner Talks, Inner Talks 4, will be on April the 30th, same time, 8 till 9. All of these videos and the podcast will be out within a week. And I do encourage you, the same way we got Ramsey to come and speak today, if you do want to talk, please let me know. Six minutes, eight minutes, whatever you want. Or if you want to set someone up, let them talk. Or you think someone would be good to come up here and talk, we'd appreciate that as well. I wish you all a great day and hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the podcast, and I do hope you've enjoyed it. Six incredibly inspirational people there with great stories. Of course, if you would like to talk at Inner Talks, just drop us an email to winning at innerflight.com. Inner Talks is on every last Thursday of the month, 8 to 9 a.m at InnerFlight headquarters, and we'd love to hear from you. Of course, if you want to ask any of the speakers any questions, you can mail us as well, or leave comments over on the post, www.innerfight.com slash podcast 170, or innerfight.com slash innertalks3. Please also take a moment to rate the podcast over in iTunes. Until next time, take care.